Welcome into the Duck Territory Podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopels across the way. Hello, hello. Lots to get to. It's been a while. Yeah. We were snowed in. Mm. I, I, and it's still here, and I really wish it would go away. <laughs> I just went to the coast yesterday. It was 53 degrees, and it was incredible. And then I came back, and this morning it was like 21 degrees. <laughs> I took the dog for the walk, and I was like, come on. Who could have thought the Oregon coast is the warm, tropical <laughs> environment what, that you go to? I thought. I was like, I didn't even think it was... I figured it was going to be like the same thing over there, but it was it was much nicer on the coast than it is uh, here in Eugene right now. But I think things are looking up. We've got football coming up. We've got a heck of a lot of stuff going on here. Men's women's basketball. I can also baseball. see my grass in my backyard. You can see your grass. Part of it. Most of it. There's still part of it covered by snow. Yeah. Uh, the reason we didn't do a podcast last week is we usually do this on a Monday, sometimes on a Tuesday. Uh, on Monday, Eugene got hit with, I want to say, 11 inches of snow. Too and, many. And then Tuesday night into Wednesday morning. Uh, another six or seven inches fell to the ground in the valley floor, and uh, yeah, it's still here. So we were snowed in. Uh, it did not, however, cancel any games uh, that were going to be played athletically by Oregon Athletics, men's basketball, baseball, uh, acrobatic and tumbling uh, this week. They all had their normal activities. Ironically enough, the softball program went to Cal, you know, Cal State Fullerton area, and they got... Uh, they lost two games because of weather, yeah. and baseball on the same day was playing at PK Park with snow on the side. That was the weird part. Is we drove by PK, I'm like, what was it? it must have been Wednesday or Tuesday yeah. last week, and it was like a full 18 inches on the ground. And they, they're playing two days later, and the Oregon softball team travels <laughs> south, and their game on their two games on Saturday are, are canceled due to weather. So yeah, weird weather going on everywhere on the West Coast right now. Probably in the country too. I saw yes. some crazy stuff in Florida as well. Uh, let's get into this. Lots to get to. We're going to cover when's women's basketball, the men's basketball team. Both uh, teams had sweeps. Uh, we'll also look into spring football, which later today we're going to go meet Andy Avalos, the new defensive coordinator. Uh, and we'll also speak with Mario Cristobal. Uh, and then we'll, we'll also go into some Oregon football recruiting. Uh, to kind of wrap up the show, Oregon had a junior day uh, this past weekend, and they had seven guys on campus. So we'll kind of go into that, kind of what just to expect from a recruiting perspective down the road. But first and foremost, let's let's start with the women's basketball team. Yeah. Uh, Hard-fought game Sunday afternoon down in Tempe. Uh, they walk away with a 66-59 victory. Uh, and in that process, that clinches their second straight outright title. Uh, and that's the, the first time in program history that this women's basketball program has now gone back-to-back years with an outright title. They've done it before. They've, they've shared a league title Two years in a row. They did it in 98-99 and then 99-2000 under Jody Runge when she was the head coach of the Ducks. But uh, huge win for Oregon both days uh, on Friday against Arizona and then uh, Sunday afternoon against Arizona State. And that Sunday game against ASU, I don't don't know how much of it you watched, but um, I I watched it in its entirety. And that's the type of game that you are going to face in the tournament whether it's the second round or the third round uh, or Elite Eight, what, what have you, every team goes through a game where you just don't shoot very well and the pace of play is very, very slow or just unhinged and none, you know not there's no flow to it. And you've got to find a way to win a very ugly game and that's what the Ducks did. It, it was back and forth through three quarters and then in the fourth quarter – uh, just kind of like they did against Arizona yeah. the night before, or two nights before, Ducks dominated. They, they scored 20 points. They held ASU just nine. 
and they walked out of Tempe with a 66-59 victory and, you know, claiming their, their second straight league championship. Arizona State's a really tough out, and yeah. you've seen that all year. The Oregon, I don't want to play them in Vegas. I, I, I think they're probably the team, along with Oregon State, obviously, yeah. who's also beaten Oregon, and I guess UCLA now, you can include all three of those teams, the teams um, that have either played Oregon close twice or beaten Oregon um, this season. But yeah, Arizona State is a scary team, and, and you saw Oregon State lost to them on Friday in a game that was pretty lopsided. The Sun Devils dominated that one, and, and this game felt like, yeah, like you said, this game, it, it did feel like, it was going to be a battle, and it certainly became that. And I think another impressive win. And, and again, it, back-to-back games where the fourth quarter was dominated by the Ducks, obviously on, on Friday, I think one of the more impressive uh, you know feats I've seen, outscoring your opponent 19-0 to yeah. in the fourth quarter of a game to clinch a, at least a share at that point of the conference championship. The game was only a 10-point game going into the fourth quarter, and yet Oregon wins by 29. That's just a bizarre one. So... A couple of, I think, impressive games in a row down there in Arizona, and important ones, too, because this is, you know, they had a rough stretch there of about six days where they lost to Oregon State, then they lost to UCLA, rebounded to beat USC. The first opportunity to go on the road here with Ruthie Hebert kind of back, still yeah. kind of, she played a lot of minutes this weekend, but she I She didn't play very well against Arizona State. She did not play very well against Arizona State, yeah. So she, and she, she played roughly 30 minutes in both games, so it looks like she's pretty much back to full strength, but... Still kind of working through that bone bruise, clearly, as we saw against Arizona State. But I think really impressive to sweep these games. You know, like we said, the Arizona road trip, regardless of sport, is really difficult. I think both these programs are pretty good. You watch Arizona. Ari McDonald's going to be a star for yeah. the Wildcats for a while. She had, what, 26 in that game? Um, she was tough. And Arizona State, like we said, just across the board, really a, a tough team. So impressive wins. And now we turn, and, and Oregon, once again, is the top seed Heading into the Pac-12 tournament, which will start this weekend, I think it's going to be it's going to be tough. I think you know Oregon 26 and three right now. They lost two conference games, but uh, I, I still think they're going to there's going to be some challenges for sure this week, and it'll be interesting to see how things play out. Um, I, I would expect Oregon probably is, is going to win it, but I, I don't think I think they're going to be challenged again because I think we've seen over the last couple of weeks here. I don't know if teams are getting, figuring Oregon out or Oregon's just still trying to work through the, right. the kind of the issues with Hebert, but it does seem like the, the gap is tightening a little bit with some of these teams, or maybe Oregon's just playing a little tougher stretch. And we haven't even mentioned that you know, there's been another injury. Taylor Chavez, right. the, the the guard off the bench, um, they're probably their first player off the bench in most situations. Mm-hmm. Um, she's out indefinitely with some kind of a foot injury. She was on crutches uh, on, the, on the baseline or sideline for both Arizona and Arizona State. They announced the injury, I think, Friday afternoon or you know maybe an hour or so hours before, the game, before yeah. the game against Arizona. We don't really know kind of what her status is, and we probably won't until uh, Eric goes and goes to media availability sometime this week. But that that just forces Oregon to have to get more creative with their rosters and um, and, and their rotations and how they play against Arizona State. You know, it was kind of what you would expect. All five starters played at least 30 minutes. Ruthie Hebert was the the low end of that, she played 30, and then Aaron Bowley played 31. But then Satu Sabali played 36, Sabrina played 37, and and Cazorla played uh, 38. And you know you're gonna ha- you're gonna see you know Kelly Graves have to really work the substitution patterns and you know make these substitutions when there's 30 seconds before a TV timeout or 30 yeah. you know try and find ways that you can kind of steal just a little bit extra time of rest for your starters just because Oregon's depth is yeah. right now at, at you know red levels of, of 
of scary situations. They relied on her to play 18 minutes a game. Yeah. And that's 18 minutes that Oregon is now going to have to kind of reconfigure between Cazorla, Ionescu, Morgan Yeager, who yep. had not that long ago was basically not playing because of the back injury herself, and she played five minutes against Arizona State. I think she played about 12 against Arizona, so she 15 against Arizona. But the, if they can get minutes out of her, I think that's a big win, or else they're gonna you're gonna have to see an awful lot of Cazorla and Unesco. That's what we saw on, on Sunday: 38 from Cazorla, like you said, 37 from Unesco, and before that, it was 36 from Cazorla and 30 from Unesco on, on, on Friday's game. And Unesco had a little bit more of a break because that fourth quarter became a little bit ragged, but. Yeah, that, I think that does add, you know, all year they've been kind of battling through this. When yeah, Nayara Sabli went down prior to the season, that kind of made things tighter for them up front. Now, without kind of their third guard, they're put in a tough situation here. And this is a team that already didn't have a lot of guards. Yeah. And now you lose one of them for a, a stretch here. And this could be a thing that potentially derails the tournament run. We don't want to go that far down the future because they still have the Pac-12 tournament here this week. But I do think, and we don't know how long Taylor Chavez is going to be out, but if she is out for the NCAA tournament, I think that's a significant, significant loss, even though she's probably their sixth or seventh most valuable player. But when you're only playing seven or eight players, (laughs) they become pretty important. Uh, Wrapping up women's side here, they they will play on Friday in the quarterfinals in Las Vegas, uh, two o'clock game on the Pac-12 networks. And uh, that'll be against a winner between the 9C USC and the 8C Arizona, two teams who have given uh, Oregon a little bit of trouble. You know, US Oregon blew both teams out in one instance, and then in the yeah. second game, uh, things were a little bit tighter for, for Oregon. Um, USC in particular is the one t- for me that, that would kind of scare me the you know, more, just because they seem to always get up into Oregon's guards and kind of yeah. cause some problems. Yeah, they make it tough. Uh, so Pac-12 play for Oregon, and the tournament starts on Friday at 2 p.m. game. They win that one, then they'll play Saturday night at 6 o'clock, and that game is also on uh, the Pac-12 networks. And then the championship game will be played Sunday evening from Vegas, uh, I think in the T-Mobile Arena, if, I, if I'm correct. Uh, I don't have that in front of me, but probably. 5 o'clock game on ESPN or ESPN2 details. Uh, haven't been decided there. And, and the, the other top four seeds in the tournament for the women, uh, Stanford at number two, Oregon State at number three, and then the UCLA Bruins at number four, who knocked out the Ducks mm-hmm. at home uh, day before Senior Day. Uh, so that will be an interesting game to watch as well. Shifting over to the men's side of things, boy, this is this. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that this weekend, by the way. What two blowouts? Two blowouts. Yeah, yeah. Was Oregon goes and uh, gets a sweep of the Arizona schools at home by. Uh, beating Arizona State 97 to 51 on a Thursday night at 8 p.m. when, quite honestly, it was kind of how many people are going to show up? Is there going to be 2,000 people there because of the snow? They were expecting large amounts of ice, which didn't happen, um, but a good crowd. I want to say seven, seven or eight thousand people showed up for that game. 76, 82. Yeah, almost eight thousand people showed up, uh, and it wasn't like you know, three thousand people were there and they had five thousand no, tickets was... sold that just didn't show. It was a legit 8,000 people uh, that were at that game. Uh, so, yeah, the Ducks walk away with you know a really impressive blowout victory over the Sun Devils. Uh, I think that's the worst loss ASU's had this season. Lowest point total for ASU this year as well. Uh, and then on Saturday night, on senior night, a game that you know, I, I think there really wasn't much doubt in my mind that they were going to win. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of how it happened. It was what surprised me. Uh, and Oregon walks away with a 73-47 blowout victory over Arizona in a game where, usually on senior night, the seniors kind of have that emotional jolt and kind of carry your team. 
It was the young guys for for Oregon that kind of carried this team. Yeah, Paul White with five points. He had foul trouble early. Didn't really play a lot in that first half. Didn't. He only took four shots yeah. in that game. And E. Habamine played a little bit more and and had six points. But yeah, it was the freshman. And there was a time I wrote about on the site uh, during that game in the first half where Oregon went with four true freshmen and E. Habamine and went on I think a thirteen to zero run, took the lead back, um, had complete control, and then the. Strangely enough, they took the freshman off the court and the game kind of flipped the other way before it flipped in the second half again. But that freshman, I think, the way they were able to play for that portion of the game was very, very encouraging, not only for the rest of this season, but possibly looking ahead to next year as well if everybody sticks around. But um, a big game from Francis Okoro for the yeah. second. He had a fantastic weekend. 17 points, 17 rebounds in two over games. The I mean, eight and a half points, eight and a half rebounds in two games, you know, per average there is, is really impressive for a guy who. Has kind of had a really up and down season. Yeah. He's had kind of moments where you go, oh, he's got some stuff, and you've had moments, man, he can't finish. He'd have a hard time defensively, staying in front of guys, et cetera, et cetera. He was he was a difference maker in, in both games. You know, I I think obviously they win both games probably handily without him, but you look at the way things kind of played out against Arizona, and they built that lead. I think two out of three possessions at one point, they just kind of threw it down to Okoro and let him go to work, and he, Arizona had foul trouble. You know, and Okoro, we should say. You know, the stats were impressive, but he was able to get opposing players in foul trouble all weekend, which was big. Just a big body down low, seemed to be just always kind of drawing fouls. And in that second half against Arizona, they went to him a couple of different times, and he just put his back, you know, put his back on the guy, leaned his butt into him, basically turned and moved him off and, and laid it off the glass two or three times. So impressive weekend for him. I think you're starting to see some encouraging things. And Altman said after the game, I thought this was probably one of the most notable things from the weekend was he compared him to Dylan Brooks. Yeah. Not as a player. Not yeah. That which, that has which would be a, which, and he said that. It was which would be a crazy comparison considering one's a six foot ten center, that is like a six foot six uh perimeter player, but but in, t- in in terms of his leadership and his ability to get his teammates motivated, which is something it sounded like they'd had difficulty all season. So Yeah, you could see him during timeouts. Yeah, it's true. You, you you pointed that out even before he said that. I think he pointed it out on Thursday. Something at one point that he'd kinda of done something. During timeouts, um you know, coming out of a timeout onto the court, he was always trying to, you know, be vocal and kinda of gather the team and look, this team that's what's been missing. I mean we've we've talked about this till you know, we can't talk anymore, till we're blue in the face that this team doesn't have any on-court vocal leadership. A guy that's going to you know, bark at his teammates, hey, we need a stop. Hey, we need a basket. Hey, give me the ball. That type of a demeanor on the court. You know, Dylan Brooks did that. Eldrin Cook did that. Uh, you want to go way back. EJ Singler, uh, you know, DeVoe Joseph. Right. Um, even before that, Luke Jackson, Luke Ridnour, Freddie Jones. You know, Aaron Brooks. Aaron Brooks was yeah. like that. You know, they, they had guys that demanded the ball, demanded excellence on the court, and ironically enough, those are when you have really good teams. And I, I don't think that's, you know, just not an Oregon thing. Just yeah. go across college basketball or any sport. Uh, and this year's team just hasn't had that guy kind of step up. And maybe it's maybe it's Francis Okoro. Maybe that's going to be the guy that's, you know, that, that, can, that can fill that void and be that voice that needs to, you know, get the team fired up and going. And really, and by the way, we should just say, really impressive for a true freshman of all people to be the one that does it. With a team that does have some veterans, right. at least. You know, and he's probably the most 
least heralded recruiting guy say, out of everyone. That's I was going to say, he would probably, if you were to be like, who's going to be the guy that rallies his team, and you would have given me like eight guesses, he would have been near the back end of it. I, I would not have thought, just because of his role on the team all season. Exactly. He hasn't been, he hasn't been a guy that's been like a key player for most of the year. Uh, you kind of forgot about him. He had moments where he was only playing five or six minutes a game. But for him to come out in the last couple weeks, and Alvin said it's been a couple weeks here where kind of the light bulb has flashed. Um, he has clearly been a, a crucial part here. And I thought this was a good quote. I think you asked a question to Ehab Amin about kind of why this team was so close. And he says, it's March. I mean, it's March. Everybody came here for a reason. And it's sad that we came this, too, it's sad that we came together this, this, this late, but it's not too late. And I think that's a good point there is that yeah. there's still a little bit of time here. Obviously, the season hasn't gone the way they wanted to. Obviously, they're not going to make the NCAA tournament unless they win the Pac-12 tournament. But you're starting to see this every year where the team kind of starts making some progress. And now we're going to see when they go on the road this week against the Washington schools if they can carry this over. Because we've seen this this year. We felt we had similar conversations about three weeks ago when they beat Cal and Stanford pretty dominant at home. We go, oh, maybe they're going to put it on. Maybe they'll finish this, you know, the conference record you know, 6-1 and one or something like that. And, and they'll be in position to kind of make a push at it. Didn't take you know didn't come that way. Put to come together that way. They lost three straight games on the road. They came home, took care of business. Now we'll see if they can figure it out. And I was looking. This is surprising me. I think their net ranking right now is 64. Yeah. I, I know they're yeah. not. I know they're not that large team. But if they win both games this week on the road in Washington, obviously Washington State doesn't really help you there. But a win over Washington would maybe all of a sudden they're kind of in like the back, the mid, middle of the 50s when they head into the Pac-12 tournament, and suddenly. They win a couple of games, and, and and you kind of start feeling like, can they actually get in without winning yeah. the Pac-12 tournament? Is that even a thing? I don't think it is, but I'm just saying, it, it's. I was just surprised looking and seeing that ranking right now is 64, which obviously isn't going to get you in the field considering there's 68 teams, but still a little better than I had expected. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's going to take a miracle. I mean, they're going to they're going to have to win the com- the conference tournament right. to get in. Um, but that being said. There's still a ton to play for with this team just because even if you don't get into the NCAA tournament, you win some games down the stretch, you get to two or three wins in the conference tournament, and now all of a sudden uh, you're in a position to be at one of the teams that hosts the NIT. And, and this is, you know, getting to my point in a long direct, in a long path, yeah. is Francis Okoro is starting to come on strong. Mm-hmm. I think Miles Norris has started has taken another step in his development. Will yeah. Richardson has done the same thing as well. Uh, Peyton Pritchard is back next year. Uh, you've also got Victor Bailey Jr. who's back. You've got Kenny Wooten who's back, and then there's the up in the air one with Lewis King. I think mm-hmm. it's a foregone conclusion that Bull's gone. Yes. Um, so you, you've got six, you know, may, maybe seven. You've got five, maybe six guys uh, coming back next year's team. And you need games. You need, and ideally you want these games, if you're not in the NCAA tournament, you want these games at home. Um, and I think we're starting to see kind of Oregon's identity for next season kind of fall into place a little bit. And, and one thing I will say is, and I haven't done the numbers yet, I was trying to do it really quickly, uh, but it's just too much. Dana Altman made a huge change to his lineup going to the UCLA game two weeks ago in, in L.A., by putting in Francis Okoro and starting Kenny Wooten at the four, starting Paul Waite at the three, and then Lewis King at, at the two, and then Peyton Pritchard. You know, traditionally you look at that. Oregon lists uh, Lewis King as a guard, but he's six nine, and he, he's more like a small forward, close to a power forward yeah. type. You know, future Paul George esque type of yeah. player where he can play power forward, small forward, and then shooting guard. 
I think this has been their best lineup because in a, in a year where they've struggled to score the basketball on a consistent basis this season, their last three games, they've scored 83 points, 79 points, and 73 points. And two of those games, uh, they've won by almost 30 points. Uh, I, I, I think this is the, he's, Dana Alma has finally found that rotation uh, going into the last week of the regular season. Yeah, and, it's, and it's a weird one, so I understand. It, 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 it's it, weird. It, I, I think he, this is like one of those, like, you're just throwing darts at yeah. the dartboard, and like, oh, I guess we're starting four, six, nine <laughs> guys now. I mean, like, it's, and so you understand why it would have taken them a long time to get to this, because traditionally it's been the opposite. They'll have one, six, nine guy, and then a bunch of guards, yeah. and now we're going super big, huge, and I think, I think for a while Dana figured we gotta have two ball handlers on the court, so they rotated between Richardson and Bailey, and, and I mean, I mean, maybe starting yeah. a little bit early on in the year. But you're going with basically one traditional ball handler, one guard in Pritchard, and then four guys that are all capable basically of being post presences. Yeah. And it's working out, I think, partly because of the versatility of a guy like King to yep. be able to play the two and the three, and a guy like White to play the three and the four, and be able to stay in front of guys defensively. And it's a weird lineup. Uh, again, I don't think I would have thought of it and gone like, yeah, let's put all these big guys out here. But I agree, it seems to work. And we really should mention defensively, to me, on this home stretch especially, was kind of where things changed. Yeah. I think maybe the length from this group, and you throw Miles Norris in there, is starting to kind of figure some stuff out here because back-to-back games against Arizona, Arizona State, that second half was really critical. Where games were, first half of the game was tied against Arizona. It was an eight-point game against Arizona State, but second half they outscored the opponent by about 20 points each game. 25 points in the second half against Arizona State, and then this one was really impressive, 16 against Arizona. That was critical. That was impressive. Um, and I think you kind of start feeling like, Hey, maybe they're going to make a run at this a little bit. I don't know exactly yeah. what that looks like, but I mean, maybe they're going to maybe they're going to go on the road here and, and do some impressive things. We'll Even see. against UCLA, this lineup worked in the first half. It was yeah. forty-four to twenty-eight at the <laughs> halftime. Yeah. And Danis has said that, and Paul White echoed it, saying that you know this team this year has just had moments where they lose focus, and that's what happened in that second half against the UCLA team, where the Bruins scored sixty-two points, really couldn't miss from three, yeah. uh, and, and win that game. And Oregon once again gives up like a nineteen-point lead, uh, but. Yeah, I think for like the third or fourth time now, you're going into another week where maybe they've figured it out. We'll find out what if that's the answer on Wednesday. They go to Washington State, a place that Dan Altman said it's always difficult to play. It's not necessarily because of the crowd, but because of the lack of crowd. Uh, and the Cougars have always kind of given the Ducks fits up there. Uh, they beat them last time this late in the season last year mm-hmm. yeah. uh, up there, and then Oregon went to beat Washington. So uh, we will not be at the Washington State game. I will be at the Washington game. Uh, for that one, so we'll have coverage there as well. So uh, another year, another week, another topsy turvy week of the Pac-12. And look at, the, look oh, at this. I was going to say the standings. We should mention the standings. It is crazy. Yeah, Oregon State lost on Sunday, and they're now uh, tied for third place at nine and seven with UCLA and Utah. And then Colorado, Oregon, and USC are all tied, uh, I believe, for sixth yeah. in the conference at eight and eight. And then there's Arizona and Stanford uh, sitting at tied for ninth uh, at eight and nine. There's literally one and a half games that separates you from third place and ninth place, tenth place. or tenth place yeah. in the Pac-12. Uh, Oregon has a possibility still. I mean, the, 
the tiebreakers are nuts. I'm not even going to try and figure it out. Yeah, uh, no, but, it's not worth it. But there is a possibility that Oregon can get into a top four seed, which would give them a bye on Wednesday in the Pac-12 tournament. And if you think about all of the just brutal losses early on this season, oh my going like if Oregon would have just won one of those three yeah. crazy games, I mentioned Oregon, Oregon State, State UCLA, Washington, Washington, UCLA twice, four. There's four, four games. They would have won two out of those four games. They'd literally be in third place outright right now. So it's just one of those strange seasons from the conference. And like we said, I'm not even going to try to tackle this probably until after Oregon plays on Wednesday for exactly. terms of how they could get into a top four seed situation or kind of even who they would be playing. But literally, Oregon could be playing basically anybody besides Washington. Actually, they could probably still be playing Washington in, like, in their second game. Yeah. yeah it's just weird. Anyway. Yeah, very, 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 very possible that that happens. Uh, moving on now to football. Spring football is here, even though snow is on the ground. Well, that's, that's, that's cognitive <laughs> dissonance. I don't understand that. Uh, the Ducks will, they've shifted a little bit because they've hired Andy Avalos from Boise State to replace Jim Levitt as the program's defensive coordinator. Uh, in ma- a matter of two hours from recording this podcast, at this very moment, uh, we will be speaking with Andy Avalos and also Mario Cristobal. So uh, we'll have some more information you know, and more opinions on this hiring uh, after we talk to uh, Avalos and also uh, Crystal Ball. But spring ball starts now on Saturday, yeah, which back. is, I think, the ninth. Yep. Um, and it sounds like the reasoning for that was they wanted to just give Andy Avalos just a couple more days of time to get adjusted and, you know, understanding, you know, the, the personnel and, and what they've got and what they don't have and what they need to work on and, and, and develop. And it makes sense. Um, so they're going to push things back a little bit, start ball instead of on the 7th, which was going to be a Thursday, to now on uh, Saturday the 9th. We'll be there for practice. Uh, we'll have full interviews. We'll have video. We'll have photos, analysis, everything that comes with you know our coverage on DuckTerritory.com. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, okay, heck yeah. It, there's a lot of storylines. There's a lot of players that are gone now that Oregon has to replace. And quite honestly, there's a lot of guys coming back that have a lot on the line going into spring football. There's, I mean, yeah, there's a there's a ton to be determined, and I think obviously it's going to be exciting to see these two freshmen. I think people are, are excited to see Kayvon Thibodeau play, not with play, I guess, run around for a little bit. And, and, and what, just see gonna, what he can bring to the it's table. It's going to be one of those funny things though, where we we shoot a, a video of him running around, probably in like you know shoulder pads and shorts, and it's going to get like eight thousand <laughs> retweets. You know, people are, and we'll write this really really good story, and it's and, like and well, people will be like whatever. But, but people, are, people are just going to be. I think people are just going to be really excited to see. You know, Kayvon Thibodeau in pads, running around, doing things, and also a lot of these other two freshmen, but like you said, I think going to be a big, big uh, six weeks here, I guess, because they're splitting it up, probably about six weeks in, t- in total, um, I guess until April 20th. So, But it, just in terms of kind of the development of this group, and, and like you said, I think there's, it's going to be really interesting to see what this defense looks like. Um, are, are, I mean, we'll probably have some answers to this in a couple hours after this podcast goes up, but are we going to be? Is Oregon going to run three four again? I mean, yeah. it, and how much does that change things in terms of some of these position battles? Because I think we've all had it. Oh, they lose Jalen Jellicks and they lose two linebackers. There's these position battles are available. Those position battles may be totally different yeah. because they're going to approach things completely differently. So that'll be interesting. And I think another thing, we got a bunch of new assistant coaches here. Yeah, not just Andy Avalos. We've got Ken Wilson at linebacker. And we've got Javon Buchnight over at uh, wide receiver now. Um, how do those guys handle things? Uh, you know, the receiver position is probably the one that people are going to almost keep in their eye on the most of all of them. And, you know, for, for a first year position coach at Oregon, probably quite a bit of pressure and probably a lot of, a lot of attention on how he kind of handles things with the position group, which really I think could determine a lot of success this season. So 
yeah, I'm Jack. I'm really, really excited to get out there and kind of see what this looks like. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of things that are interesting. Obviously, you've got some stability at quarterback, some stability at line. Uh, obviously, at, on the offensive line, you got stability at running back, you got stability in the secondary, but linebacker, defensive line, wide receiver areas where you've got a lot of kind of question marks of kind of how is this all going to play out. So really excited to kind of get an idea of that. We've been obviously speculating now since January about how a lot of this is going to play out. So going to get some preliminary answers. Obviously, what we see this week, not really going to matter very much <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. It doesn't going to make any impact probably in August, but it'll be fun to see nonetheless. Yeah, and I, I, I'm i excited to see some position battles. And you got a great point that I didn't think of. You know, with the scheme changes, that could drastically impact oh, – yeah you know, position battles, and that could create, hey, we're we're really deep now all of a sudden at this one position because of uh, a move here and there. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a, a lots of information that we're going to find out about this football program. Uh, one thing that I do think is, is interesting is that uh, they basically doubled Andy Avalos' salary at Boise State. He's now making just over $700,000 his first year at Oregon. That's basically a million-dollar savings uh, per year with what they were paying Jim Levitt. Yeah. Um, and that could create, you know, obviously they had the one-time payout, uh, but that came from boosters. Uh, you know, that was people stepping up to the plate that are big supporters of this football program and saying, we believe in, in your in your direction and where you want to go. Here's the money to, to do that. Um, so now we're all of a sudden has, a, from a fiscal standpoint, a million-dollar savings. If they can spread that money and give a, a pay raise to a Keith Hayward, uh, or, yeah. you know, to, to keep him here and keep him happy. And we should mention, we thought he, we, had we thought he was going to be the DC. Gonna, we thought, we thought that was happening. Yeah. You know? and, and, and so it, I think that is something that'll, I'm guessing there'll be some money, some, I think we did say he got a promotion title already. Yeah. Um, it's like associate, associate head, coach. head coach. Now Oregon has like associate head coach, assistant head coach, and the head coach. They got two. They have two of one of them. It's like Salavea's one, Keith Hayward's one, or I'll, I'll look this up. I think Arroyo is also some sort of a head coach, associate, assistant thing. It's kind of like the regional manager thing from the, <laughs> office, from the office, where it's all these different titles. Yeah. So Marcus Arroyo is the assistant head coach. Uh, Joe Salavea is the associate head coach, and Keith Hayward is the assistant head coach, co-defensive coordinator, safeties coach. <laughs> We're going to have to ask Mario, like, what's the difference between an associate head coach's responsibilities and an assistant head coach's responsibilities? <laughs> I don't even understand the time. I'll be curious to see if he has an answer on that. But uh, certainly, certainly, uh, yeah, and going back to your original point, yeah, they've got a little bit more financial capital now to spread out. And I, I do think someone like Keith Hayward, who it was widely speculated and rumored he would take over for Jim Levitt, I would imagine that some of the some of that money will probably be sent headed his way because he is a very, very valuable part of this team, this this coaching staff, uh, a big part of the reason why he was, you know, did receive a bump in title. I think he'll also probably see a bump in pay. Yes, I, I would I would agree with all of that um, in terms of pay and uh, title. Um, but the other direction that this could open up for Oregon, and this is kind of where, you know, you need an AD kind of like Rob Mullins, who's very good at allocating money and you know saving money and finding ways to expand your wallet per se is mm-hmm. look Oregon just saved a million dollars per year uh, in, in salary for the next couple of seasons um, Oregon's basketball program their three assistant coaches are all now off contract right. at, at the end of this season uh, and they are in my opinion looking at how much they pay uh, Oregon basically is paying two hundred to two to four hundred thousand dollars for the three assistant coaches. Um, you're you're 
you basically have about a million dollars, a little under a million dollars in salary for those two, for those three assistants. You could probably give them a little bit of a pay raise and keep them and lock them, lock them here long term, uh, and not spend any more money than, than you were spending the year before because of the savings. Um, I think those three coaches are key in, in A, act, you know, acquiring the talent that Oregon's got and B, developing the talent with Dan Altman. You could also do Mark Campbell, one of the top assistant coaches for the women's program. Yeah. His contract is up uh, and after this season. So you've got some money now to kind of reward some other programs that have coaches uh, that are going to be, you know, expired contracts and, and keep them here. Or, you know, you can pump that money into building something from a facility standpoint. Yeah. Uh, you can get creative now with how that money that you saved. Or maybe you use that million dollars savings to and keep it in-house at Oregon for football, and you hire a bunch of analysts or you hire a bunch of you know, off-field type of people to, to continue to bolster your, your staff at Oregon. Yeah, and I think all of that makes sense, and it'll be really interesting to see kind of what path they decide to go. And I think we haven't really talked much about the Avalos hiring, and obviously there's going to be a lot more stories out there this week once he speaks with media today, but I think one of the benefits, like you said, Rodney Rob Mullins deserves some credit. Obviously, probably waded in some waters that didn't work out with the, with that Levitt contract. But I think a really good job by them for pivoting, finding a way to make it financially beneficial in the long term for them. Um, obviously, I think it was a contract that Levitt was under, which was probably a little problematic. I think they did a pretty good job in a pretty short period of time. I think you broke the story about Levitt no longer being on the staff, and within two weeks, they had already found a replacement, one that was, uh, like we said, about a million dollar difference. So I think quick, good good work on their thinking on their feet. And I think, uh, and we'll get more to this this week kind of as the, as the stories play out, but I think a really good defensive coordinating hire um, for Oregon. Um, they were not going to go in-house, going out-house and find out-house. out-house. <laughs> going, going to the out-house, that, that sounds very, very insulting. And I guess if you're an Oregon fan, you'll probably feel okay with me saying that uh, in regards to uh, Boise State. But it was... More of a slip of the tongue, meaning going uh, outside of the program for a hire. I think that's worked out pretty By the way, uh, I went to Boise State's website, or one of a couple of their, their message boards online after the Andy Avalos hire. Yeah. And everyone, this is what you know you've got a really good coach. Everyone is, wow, we knew this was coming. We're really excited for him. He's going to be missed. And, that, uh, you know, when, when the fan base is generally excited and not, and they acknowledge that they're going to miss him. And it was a huge loss. And at the same time, you know, congratulating the guy yeah. because he's got a huge job promotion and he's going to go somewhere bigger and star. Uh, that's when you know you've got a good coach, a good person. But then they were talking about, but why Oregon? Where's the hate from Boise State for Oregon? I do not get this because they've played three times in football and they've won all three. They've played, I think, five or six times in basketball and as one prime they've, more they've won a couple of them. Yeah, they've won, won, yeah, they won a couple of them, yeah, for sure. So I, I don't get this hate towards Oregon. It's the weirdest thing. I think because uh, there was a, the first two games that they played in this rivalry, or maybe not the first two, but the most recent that I can think of. Well, no, yeah, it was the first two because the, the Las Vegas Bulls the third. Uh, the first one was Jeremy, Jeremiah Masoli getting knocked out by a Boise State player. That, I think, kind of established some love-loss in the relationship. Right. And then the next year... Very, very memorable. Like, they punch. did punch a guy in the face for Boise State. <laughs> Probably didn't set very well. And then, obviously, they come out. And I think part of it just has to do from the perspective of that's a program that has always sort of feels slighted and, sm- and that they're not getting the, their, you know, respect and, and 
probably maybe that some of that is deserved for a portion there. They were, you know, kind of one of the big boys. Probably right. similar to, and I'm familiar with this Gonzaga's perspective being on the West Coast here in a smaller conference. Nobody really fully re- right their perspective. No one really respects them in Oregon. You know, in this in that situation, is kind of the equivalent of like UCLA or Arizona in basketball, where sure. they're the big dog and no one's respecting us. We think we're the best team on the West Coast. Everybody's saying it's Oregon, blah blah blah. I'm guessing it's something to do with that. But yeah, you're right in terms of the way the games have played out. Been pretty advantageous <laughs> for Boise State to this point. Uh, last but not least, we'll wrap things up with a, just a quick recruiting update. Um, Oregon had like I'll do air quotes here, mini junior day. Um, they the snow kind of prevented some guys from getting in here. Um, you know, the Eugene Airport was a either canceled or uh, severely backed up for a couple of days with delays, and that kind of got things uh, made things difficult to get to Eugene. Driving was difficult, but nonetheless, on Saturday when Oregon played Arizona in basketball, they had seven guys on campus. Um, they had a four-star top 200 recruit, which is always a big deal. Yeah. Uh, Levi Rogers, if you want to go and get the visit recap there. Um, we have one up with Levi and we'll have a couple more up throughout the week of guys that were here on campus. And, you know, you can look at it and say, Hey, you know, there's seven guys and, you know, most of them are, are three star players and that's not that big of a deal. That's a huge deal. Getting guys on campus at Oregon is always going to be a big deal and it's going to be something for Oregon football to always uh, be trying to do. And, you know, we're going to see things, you know, now that spring football is starting. Uh, really ramp up from a recruiting perspective, and, I, and you can attest to this, Eric. I don't think we've seen since Mario Cristobal has been here, uh, there has been a change in yeah. the amount of guys that come through campus and make unofficial visits. It, it's a number that we've never seen before. Well, and we should mention that even if you think, oh, these are lesser quality recruits based on stars, we have no idea what's this kid. This kid could become a five star recruit right. even if he's a three star right now. So getting these guys on campus, establishing a positive relationship early. Things you just have to do in recruiting now. You don't want to. There's no benefit of not bringing a kid in who you think could develop into a player. So, uh, yeah, for those who are like, oh, these guys are only mid three stars now. It's really early on in the recruiting process. And yeah, I think we have seen more guys come through, and I think it's exciting. And I think you're going to start to see a couple more commitments probably start picking up here when you get towards the spring game at the end of April, which is the last couple of years been a, a really really big uh, a recruiting weekend for Oregon. Obviously, Oregon does have two commitments right now in this class, but I think a good start and obviously good to I guess get things kind of going from a recruiting perspective here, um, especially because some of the attention for these coaches will be distracted a little bit by the coaching here in the spring game. Yeah. Up here, or the spring practice, we should say. A little, a little bit, but I, I, I certainly think that from a recruiting standpoint, this is where things are really going to get kicked into high gear. We're going to see a lot of guys you know, start showing up for visits, uh, and we're going to see commitments start happening. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me one bit where uh, we see some guys uh, start, you know, the dominoes start falling a little bit and commitments start happening for Oregon and starts happening around the conference, which puts a lot of pressure on a lot of other schools, uh, to, you know, to fill their, you know, to fill their positions and where they're looking at. So lots to, lots to watch for from a recruiting standpoint, lots to watch for from a, an Oregon team standpoint, from football. Uh, and then as we always do, you know, we, we've got you covered for men's basketball and their push. Uh, trying to get into a higher seed in the Pac-12 tournament. Regular season ends this week. The women's team, uh, they head to Vegas this week to make their their push for a conference championship in the tournament style and try and secure a one or a two seed in the West region. 
uh, in the NCAA tournament. We've also got softball, yeah. which will be having a home game this weekend. They're hosting Oklahoma State for their first home games this season at the James, so that's an opportunity to see this team. And then we've also got baseball, which just won their second straight series with sweeps uh, against Loyola Marymount, a three-game series uh, at PK Park this weekend, and they'll be back in action later this week as well. So lots going on, uh, and we encourage you guys to go to duckterritory.com uh, for your full recaps of it all. Uh, for Eric Scopo and myself, Matt Brink, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. See you guys.